Pro football player Travis Kelsey is pressed for time during the football season. So he does two things at once. Whether it's grilling while mowing. Two things at once! Or getting this season's updated COVID-19 shot at the same visit as his flu shot. Two things at once. You can be like Travis and ask your pharmacist about getting this season's COVID-19 shot at the same visit as your flu shot, if you're due for both, as recommended by the CDC. Learn more and schedule at VaxAssist.com. Sponsored by Pfizer. There's a reason Bowling Green State University is ranked number one in Ohio for student experience. Our in-demand degrees and life design program prepares students for their first career and their next. With an unparalleled support system at a national research university, BGSU offers an unrivaled experience, all on a vibrant campus in one of America's best college towns. It's also why Bowling Green State University is the number one school in the Midwest that students would choose again for the fourth year in a row. You are now listening to the Going Deep Podcast with your hosts, Kevin Massari and Mike Bunt, live from the Cover One Sports Network. Here we go. Welcome into another edition of the Going Deep Podcast. I'm your host today, Kevin Massari, as always here with Mike Bunt, talk a little bit about the crazy close 14 to nine victory over the New York giants homecoming for Brian Dabo, which sparks a ton of discussion, not only with missed calls in the game with um, coaching carousels and who knows who better and who shook, uh, shook whose hand. So a lot to go over with that. Uh, and then as well as new England Patriots week, luckily um, we'll see if that uh, is a get right game for the Bills. So we have a lot to talk about on the new England Patriots front as well as that's the path to five and two. So there's a big game to come up there as it's always nice to get a new England Patriots game and one where you're supposed to win as the spread keeps going up and up and up. So Vegas is still feeling pretty good about Buffalo. Mike, uh, how are you feeling today? Kev, I'm feeling great today. Uh, just had an incredible weekend where I saw Notre Dame host USC, went to the Bills primetime game against the Giants. Uh, we have some Sabres hockey going on uh, tonight on ESPN. So uh, I'm feeling good and ready to talk. Uh, some football. Uh, and I want to start the show also by apologizing to RJ, who last week uh, said, tweeted to me that he thought it was going to be a close game, that the Bills were going to win by less than a touchdown. And I told him, man, the metrics don't look that way. I, I can't see this being close. I got to take my losses when I'm wrong. RJ, you were right. Credit to you. Uh, let's just be happy that the Bills ended up finding a way to win the game in the end. Yeah, and also took a lot of heat for I didn't say they would cover their spread last week. I was the one person who definitely did not have a, a cover of the spread. Um, it was ended up being, I said, 10 points, ended up being five. Um, so thought it would be a little bit more offense in that game. But it was a strange day in the stadium, Mike. You were there. Why don't you talk about was there something in the air? You know, you have kickers missing kicks. You have just a strange offensive day. Uh, neither team looked to be ticking on any cylinder. Uh Special teams looked off. What? What? Anything weird going on there? Odd vibes in the stadium. Normally, these primetime games, it feels electric. I don't know how it looked on TV. If the the crowd was loud or lively, it was kind of dead in my section where I sit with my season tickets. Um, but it, it I don't want to 
put too much on the London, the jet lag and everything, but 12 out of the last 14 teams that have played in London have trailed in the fourth quarter in their next game in the States. I think the only two times the team hasn't has been Jacksonville, and they're well accustomed to this travel by this point in time. So maybe there is something to it. It seems like six days to close to a week would be enough time to to get back on track um, back in the States, but the Bills were definitely out of sync. Uh, we 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 want to get to the offense today. That's going to be that's the talking point of everyone um, on Twitter, social media, Bills fans this week. But there was definitely an odd an odd feel. But at the end of the the game, the Bills were able to figure things out, and they held on by a threat. I, I can't believe it went down to the final play of the game at the one yard line. But uh, yeah, just just strange vibes just uh, throughout uh, Orchard Park on Sunday afternoon, going into the evening. It really was like, so to answer your question, it looked like a normal primetime game from our perspective, Mike. So there was, it really wasn't anything vibe in there, but I think you brought up a good stat off the London game. It's one that I've been going to the one score game one to me where the bills, you know, have recently struggled in the past couple seasons with one score games over the last two and a half seasons, um, particularly have struggled. I don't know if you can take too much or some debate on both sides, whether that matters or not, but I do think there's something to the jet lag stat of 12 out of 14 individual teams and only Jacksonville one recently on Sunday and one in the past were able to uh, overcome the five time zones within a, a seven day period. It's almost like you need to take a buy. And I think teams are going to start to realize that the final test there, we'll see how Tennessee and Baltimore look this week to continue to track uh, those numbers. But uh, very interesting nonetheless. And I think that that absolutely has a little bit of a role coming off and, um, it's it's interesting that they need to, to kind of put a bow on that. They need to figure out this London series. I don't believe that it's properly managed. I don't believe that it's properly um, on, on the right field. I don't believe that there's anything to it that makes a lot of sense right now. So I'd like to see some variations or changes uh, there somehow where I know it's going to interrupt the EPL season, but they need to do something where maybe it's later. So teams will take a buy. Or, or, or something like it needs to change or coming off of a buy even, um, but I don't know, but something needs to change. Or even have it later that, in the season too. Well, that's my, yeah, yeah that's what I said. When, when you're telling the Bills that they have to decide between either a week six buy uh, or uh, playing the next week after that type of jet lag, like those are two bad options regardless of uh, what they choose. They're either wasting a buy in October, early October, or they're forced to play a game when they're not truly all the way there back, uh, back there. So uh, it, it was kind of two bad options, but it is what it is. I, I would rather the Bills not waste a week six bye uh, in this scenario. So I think the Bills made the right choice. But uh, again, it, it, that London stat is something else and not something I would really expect. For sure. As we continue to, you know, look past the, the beginning of the game, as we kind of talked about here, this show is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Get out there and check some great artwork out. Use promo code going deep for 10% off all of their stuff. It's amazing work. As you can see right behind me, www.sonsoferie.com. But as the game progressed, Mike, you started to see a kind of lazy offensive performance by both teams. You saw it. Uh, Terod Taylor, very interested in checking the ball down. Um, you know, not that the running game wasn't going with Saquon Barkley really till late in the game after the Bills had scored. Uh, they got a little bit more energy, but it was really poor day on the ground for them. 
Tarad's not doesn't really look very interested in making throws in the middle of the field uh, against two, uh, you know, one rookie linebacker and a second year linebacker. So he didn't seem too interested in that. Um, so you you saw the Giants' offense looked pretty poor underneath Brian Dable. Um, you know, even with you know Justin Pugh off the street, who was probably their best offensive lineman, uh, all things considered, got the ball out fairly quick. Tyrod um, was on the move a little bit, but ultimately you know, not to break down too much of the exact specifics of the Giants offense didn't look great. So that definitely was a good plus for what the Bills defense was able to do, even though some of the EPAs and some of the statistics out of the game weren't overly um, favoring the Bills defense, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. And the stats off of the Bills offense were pretty favorable. So it's a very interesting debate on um, how this game turned out. Nothing like it was supposed to. Two missed field goals, a potential Gabe Davis fumble was his knee down. Did he get punched in the face? I mean, there's so many variations to that play itself that just made the whole thing weird. It was never, at the very least, was never even, it may have been quickly spot checked. It was never brought upstairs for a review as the uh, official did not go under uh, review um, to call it in himself. So there's a very unique set of circumstances in this game uh, all the way around. And it just wasn't one that felt a lot of energy. However, the uh, linebackers, Michael McFadden and Bobby O'Karaki of the Giants came to play their front three. They run a unique three, four defense. I uh, was pretty good in the game. They don't get a ton of pressure, um, but they did cause some havoc. Link Martindale is a very smart defensive coordinator comes from those Baltimore Ravens teams uh, of looking um, you know, pretty good and uh, putting a lot of pressure on opposing offenses. And there's no way that Brian Dable wasn't sitting in meetings all week or maybe even longer about Josh's tendencies about how to shut this offense down about without missing Dalton Kincaid, what they can do there without exploiting the middle of the field. Brian Dable almost looked like he spent more time in his defensive meetings last week as a head coach than he did offensive meetings as his offense was stale and did not have anything going. So uh, with all that being said, and we saw a scary injury to Damian Harris, another one kind of like Dane Jackson last year on um, on um, primetime. And then it looks like he's going to be okay. Don't know if that's a one-week, two-week, four-week injury at this point with the neck and concussion protocol. Bills called on Leonard Fournette. Apparently that visit was canceled uh, because someone wanted Ty Johnson. Interestingly enough, there's been a lot of rash of injuries around the league with running back position. So we'll see. Probably that means that the Bills like Ty Johnson. And I like a lot about, about that player from the Jets. So we'll see what he looks like potentially being at least elevated uh, from the practice squad, if not uh, a whole roster stint. We'll see coming up here shortly, Mike. But with all that being said, and you kind of look at this game, do you think that the defense played particularly well, in your opinion? I want to start with the defense uh, of the Buffalo Bills. Do you think that the defense played well? Uh, I think some of their numbers point to it. I think they let up a good amount of yards, which is why yards per, uh, you know, you know, different, you know, EPAs and different attempts uh, don't look great uh, because they let up a lot of yards. They're letting a lot of conversions, especially early on, and just happened to stop them for over five in the red zone. So what do you... I guess talk to me about we're going to start on the defense first before we get into, um, you know, hotter topics. Yeah, because we're going to need at least a good five, 10 minutes to talk about the offense uh, at some point during the show. I thought the defense was all right. I, I, I wasn't overly impressed, but I wasn't upset with anything. They didn't allow a touchdown. So you got to be happy with that. They came up strong twice in two goal line situations. I felt like it was more of a bend, but don't break. Uh, type defensive performance. Uh, the Giants had over 300 yards. They came into the game the worst uh, offense in the league. So that is a, a decent amount of yards to give up despite uh, holding them out of the 
the end zone. I think having Tyrod in really did help their chances. And it's not that the offense did anything special. It was more so they didn't do anything to give away the game. Uh, the, the, the offense played safe with the ball. They, they were able to get short yardage, uh, basically roll down the field at times. Uh, and, and Barkley had a decent game on the ground. Uh, he wasn't overly um, efficient. He, his stats were kind of padded by a couple runs uh, in the second half. But they, he got the ball out quick, which really kind of prevented the, the defensive line from really getting many sacks. The Bills had three sacks on the day, but it wasn't like uh, one of those games early in the year where they were able to get to Sam Howell. And with the three backup offensive linemen, I think the Giants were probably pleased with uh, Tyrod being safe and quick with the ball. And overall, what the Bills did is they, they took care of business. They, they, they held a team under 10 points. Uh, I, I thought, uh, for the most part, they had a, a B a B performance today. Uh, I, I can't give them an A. I don't want to go down to a C. They had a B performance, solid, and really aided by the two uh, goal line stops. If they allow touchdowns on those plays, uh, this this performance looks a lot different uh, overall. Yeah, I want to talk to you real quick just to cap off the defense, just some 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 efficiency statistics out of this uh, for week six going in, you know, 22 yar- uh, you know, yards per play. They finished 22nd in week six uh, yards per rush, 25th, uh, you know, yards per play per rush, 31st, um, third down, 23rd. Um, so there's definitely some some struggles defensively that I still, especially early on in the game led to some issues. I think what the Bills offense was able to do, and we'll go into a larger point later, they were able to stay on the field to keep those numbers down because they had a lot of yards um, and a lot of time of possession. And the Bills offense, 16 minutes in the second half uh, for their two touchdown drives, were able to keep their offense off the field and scoring points. So there's a bigger debate here with like how well did the defense really play statistically? They played pretty good by keeping, but how many times are you going to go 0 for 5 in the red zone? That's not going to even happen against moderate teams, Mike. Um, in and, the and NFL. that's the thing. We're looking at the point totals. At the end of the day, stopping teams that could be 35 scoring, points. Yeah. It's keeping teams under 10 points. That's a, that's a great effort. But I think we have to factor in the opponent. The fact that they were playing without three uh, three starting linemen, the fact that they were playing with a backup quarterback that doesn't really take chances, and yet they still had multiple opportunities to to win this game. So I I, I want to give credit to the defense, but I I I can't give them an A when no. when they were honestly they were struggling to stop the Giants. Uh, the Giants were moving the ball up and down the field. They had over 300 yards. This is a Giants team that entered this game, I think, only leading 19 seconds all season in their first five games. And they were having a historically bad start to their season. So in a way, that did continue from a points-per-game standpoint. This Giants offense still is struggling. But you would like to see the Bills better between the 20s. They, I, I know spin, they only allowed nine points. But you got to understand the second half, each team only had three possessions. Uh, there, there was not this was not a possession uh, battle where they're going up and down the field doing these quick drives like what the Bills defense normally does. The Bills defense normally holds teams under 300 yards, despite the off our offense going on these two three minute drives where they're scoring points. The Bills controlled the ball for 16 minutes over two drives in the second half. So 
point, this was always going to be a lower scoring game um, for the Giants. Uh, so, I, I like I said, it, it's a it's a B performance because you have to factor in um, the, the opponent and the fact that this opponent probably, despite the amount of points they scored, probably one of the better games all season that they've looked as far as moving the ball. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting kind of debate too that I think we're focusing on the other side of the ball. Just I'm just gonna say like you're not gonna keep many teams over five in the red zone, um, especially ones that are that are semi able to get it done. So I don't know that they are absolved of any issues. And I had an issue with how they played in Jacksonville. They had uh, in London against Jacksonville. They've had some bad injury problems, but I thought a lot of those conversions and that time of possession did not allow the offense to get in a rhythm until late in the game either. They needed to get the ball back for some possessions earlier than they did in that game. I think it holds true really until they got the ball back after third quarter and they stopped them and that drive led into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, most people are like, well, they didn't score in the third quarter. Yeah, well, they are on the one um, going in to start the, the fourth quarter. So the Bills had a full, long, productive drive prior to the fourth quarter beginning. So um, that's kind of forgotten in that long eight minute drive. But I think for me, like to not belabor or spend too much time on the defense. I like the way Dorian Williams played next to Terrell Bernard. I think you have a little good looking linebacking core bills drafted. It took a lot of heat for drafting this linebacking core. Heard a lot of stuff all off season, not only last year with Bernard, but both of them this year, like a, people started to warm up a little bit to Dorian Williams. He had a little bit better of a feeling than Bernard did this time last year, but both of them on the field, thank gosh that they drafted both of them, Mike, because they sure needed it. Otherwise, they were going to be starting Dodson and Klein. Yeah, um, we're... So that's exactly why those draft picks were made. And you sign a guy like Puna Ford, who ended up being much, much greatly outsnapped by Jordan Phillips as well um, at the starting one tech position, which I think is a fair downgrade for as well as Daquan Jones was playing. But at Oliver, you know. Maybe he had to take a brunt of it on, and that's when you start to see Ed Press a little bit. Still played a really good game. The Bills ends and edges. They had six of them active. Um, is that too many? I think that you need to take one off the field at some point here soon. That's too many active at, uh, you know, defensive ends. There's no u- reason to have a 20%, 20% for there's you gotta you gotta mitigate. What you gotta you gotta put down Kingsley yeah. Jonathan probably doesn't see the field going yeah. forward at that point in time. But I'm you're right. The defense. Dorian Williams is he's adequate out there already. He's not he's not going to be great, but but he's decent. His athleticism is definitely a major plus. Him and Bernard are going to be they're going to be okay at linebacker. They're not going to be the huge liabilities that people were afraid that they might be uh, prior to the season. The secondary they're always going to basically hold their own. They're never going to be great with. Uh, uh, with Benford and um, Elam or Jackson out there, I do think things will get better once Dane Jackson returns um, in the secondary. Elam obviously had a a few rough moments. Uh, And then D-line, Oliver did struggle with double teams on on Sunday night. It was something that was kind of hurting him. This wasn't just a Daquan Jones thing. This was more of an Oliver facing power run, getting doubling up. So it really was – Yes, not having Daquan next to him definitely makes his life a lot more difficult overall. But this was stuff that he would have been dealing with even if Daquan was playing. Uh, The defense did their job. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. The defense did their job, and you just hope that they can keep going at it uh, like this the rest of the season. There's more than enough talent on this defense for them to still be a top-10 unit 
throughout the rest of the year. And I think we've seen through uh, two games without many of their key players that they can still hold down teams. You you combine Jacksonville and the Giants, that's 34 points the last two games without Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, Tredavious White. So you're allowing 17 points a game without three of your best defenders. And prior to that, you're allowing around 14, 13, 14, 15 points a game. So there really has not been a dramatic change at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, I think they got – that's just the reason you have this kind of depth on your defense. I mean, it was greatly tested. Um, you know, Benford being back, I thought was a pro. I think you'll see Dane Jackson back this week. Will he take higher Elam spot? I have to imagine so. Not 100% sure on that, but I would think. I don't know if the um, the Bills will give him the Patriots game to kind of figure one last thing out here, three games in a row, give him some momentum. Um, I thought Elam was grabby again. Um, his overall statistics out of the game weren't great, but he did put some flashes on uh, on the field at times. 50% of the time, he looks pretty good and adequate. Other times, he doesn't, um, including a you know a nice grabby play that we've seen all preseason that got him called. Thought he got burned once as well um, in a situation to where he couldn't he shouldn't have bit there. Um, and others when when Tyrod Taylor's the quarterback um, of the other team, like I don't know. I think you can. Um, you can be a little bit better in those situations, but Hey, it's a progress from how poor Jacksonville was. We'll see if they let him build on it going into uh, the Patriots game as well. And we're going to get to that game here shortly. Don't want to spend the entire time just on the giants game. Um, so we're definitely going to make, still make some time on the Patriots and the disaster is of their roster. Um, so we're going to get into that quite shortly. But it's time in the middle of the show to turn our attention to the Bills offense, a much contested and debated thing in the last couple of days. And then coming off the Jacksonville game only heightened it. And I think the most interesting part of this whole scenario here is to start the conversation off, Mike, I would like to say what better feelings would you have if Dalton Kincaid uh, played first of all, or number two, does Dawson Knox make that catch at the end with a perfectly scheme play action to end the game on the offensive side of the ball with a great throw and a great catch to win the game without the, the drama of the final drive. I think we have, even just with one play, I think there's a little bit different of a feeling on one play alone. So that's where I want to start, Mike, what's your opinion on had they completed just that one pass to end the game on that, on that Knox sliding catch. Yeah, so Dalton Kincaid is the wide out there. He catches that. It's the end of the game. Josh could have made a better throw, but Dawson Knox has to catch that in that moment. It was a perfect play call. Uh, I called it before it even happened. If you don't have the receiver open, you run it. You then force them to call the final timeout. You still kick the field goal. If you have the receiver open, you throw it. You make the catch. Game over. Uh, They didn't execute it. and It's a shame because that really wasn't a difficult play. Um, Secondly, uh, with this, with the offense in general, not having Dalton Kincaid is a much bigger loss than what anybody, anybody uh, would, would have said prior to the game. And it's not from a pass catching standpoint. I know that he hasn't really put up numbers this year. It's the fact that the Bills have run 12 personnel on 35% of uh, their, their offensive snaps this year. I think that's right around the number that they've been on for 12 personnel. Um, so you're not going to do that with Quinton Morris as high a rate. Quinton Morris is a noticeable drop-off from Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox. And, yes, he had the touchdown catch and made a great play, but that changes up what you're going to do offensively uh, in a game. So that's a 
a bigger thing than what was really discussed heading in. And I do think it's important to note uh, with offenses that this is not just a Buffalo Bills issue right now. Uh, A lot of people are freaking out about the offense because they had struggles in back-to-back weeks. Scoring across the league outside of teams like Miami is down across the league. The Kansas City Chiefs are averaging 24.5 points right now per game. 24.5. The Bills are at 29 points per game. So the Chiefs, when they lost Eric Bieniemy, just went down 4.5 points a game. The Bills, with Dorsey, have stayed basically the same as what they were in Dable, except for when Dable was offensive coordinator, we were in a, a historic era for NFL offenses. I think what fans need to start realizing is in the 2020-21 seasons, it was a heyday, a historic time for offenses across the NFL. Defenses hadn't solved how to stop these high-volume passing attacks. Players like Mahomes, Allen, other quarterbacks across the league were going over the top constantly. The explosive plays were at all-time highs. Scoring was exploding What happens is after you have a few years of something, eventually the other side of the ball adjusts and they figure out solutions. That's what we're going through the middle of right now. Teams are not letting the Bills get explosive plays. So all the easy stuff that we we grew accustomed to with Allen, it's not there right now. That means they can't just get these easy three-play 80-yard drives. So fans are like, why does this look more difficult? It looks more difficult because defenses across the league are making it more difficult. They have to nickel and dime. So essentially what the Bills are doing when they're running the ball, they're trying to keep defenses honest to open up options to them later in the game. One of the things that Ken Dorsey was asked about is why are you running it on second and down? Second down. The Bills run it on second down because they want to pass to the sticks. But if they always pass it on second down to the sticks – Guess what? Defenses are going to defend that, and they're not going to be able to do what they want. It's about strategy. It's about keeping things honest. And uh, on Sunday alone, you had the Philadelphia Eagles score 14 points against the Jets. Need quality and accessible health care at a minimal cost? Get Antidote Health. We offer individual and family plans with zero co-pays for online doctor visits 24-7, pediatric visits, mental health care, and more. Some plans even have a cashback benefit, and you'll get access to top-tier providers like Cleveland Clinic. Open enrollment has started, so sign up today at antidotehealth.com slash start. Dollar copays and cashback not available on all services or prescription drugs. Consult your plan for more information. When the kids call and they say, hey, Dad, can you pick up Skyline? I'm always like, absolutely. I'm halfway there because you don't have to tell me twice. That's the time for our family to be together, and Skyline's always been part of our family time. You had Cincinnati score 17 points against the Seahawks. You had the 49ers score 17 points uh, against Cleveland. On Thursday, you had Kansas City score 19 points against a Denver team that had allowed 70 points to the Miami Dolphins. This is not uh, just a a Buffalo Bills problem. This is across-the-league problem, yes, The the Bills were awful against one of the worst defenses in the league. But let's us, when you actually look at the numbers from Sunday, because I I know everybody's just, they have that shutout in the first half in the back of their minds. The Bills offense was actually moving the ball on Sunday. 
The issue was they kept stalling out in Giants territory. They had five drives that stalled out in Giants territory that resulted in no points. They missed two field goals. They had an interception on a tip pass. They had the Gabe Davis fumble, and they elected to punt from a 37. How often over the course of the season are the Bills going to have five drives in opponent's territory resulting in zero points? I'd say the probability of that happening again the rest of the season is slim to none. If they even got field goals on three of those drives, that's nine points. They score 23 points. At the end of the day, you're, you're not freaking out about it. They had one three and out. The most part, Allen was off. And, and Dorsey was a little bit off too. I don't like shotgun runs on second and goal from the, the one. You have a six-foot-five quarterback. Push it in with a QB sneak. Do something like that. But there was also some play calls that were very good. Diggs setting up out of the backfield for a critical third down conversion. That's a masterclass play. The, the Hardy touchdown, masterclass play call. And they've been using concepts like that throughout the season right now. The, the play action on third down at the end of the game was a perfect play call. There was multiple times in the game where Diggs is being double and triple teamed and Josh is trying to force the ball to him. I love Josh and I want, I love Stefan Diggs and I want Josh to get the ball to Stefan Diggs as much as possible. But if this is not all the, uh, the offensive coordinator, when the quarterback is throwing the ball into triple coverage and then there's a guy wide open on the other side of the field with nobody within seven yards of him, is that the offensive coordinator's fault? I'm telling you, like you watch the games, like this is not just all Dorsey. Josh makes any offensive coordinator look way better than what they are. But Josh also makes them look worse than what they are at times too. When he doesn't follow what he is told, when he doesn't execute what he is told, he makes basic things look bad. He makes bad things look great. So there's some a little give and take. But as I said last week, the Bills are still the top scoring offense in the NFL since Ken Dorsey became their offensive coordinator. And a two-week sample where they had traveled to London and then travel back to London doesn't instantaneously instantaneously wipe that all away, especially when you consider the fact that three games prior, the Bills were averaging 41 points a game. A lot to think about there as we approach kind of the middle of the show. So we really appreciate everybody tuning in. Check out Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Please smash the like button for us as well. That means a ton to us as we're able to continue to bring you great content across the network. That means a whole lot for everybody watching. Thank you so much. Smash that like button now for us if you can. And I think that it's time to bring up producer Kevin. But before we do, we have a special shout out to our underdog fantasy team. Check out underdog fantasy, www.underdogfantasy.com. Use promo code cover one to match your donation to the site. It is an amazing site where you can go ahead and you can take so many different fantasy. I love best ball. You don't have to set your lineups. Underdog fantasy is still one of my favorite fantasy sites out there. And so much to like about underdog fantasy. As we bring up Kevin Syracuse to the show, we welcome him on now. And we are still live in the middle of this debate, as Mike just brought up. A Mike Bunt rant of uh, of his kind of interpretation of uh, the Bills' offense and what's going on, the state of the league around the league, Kevin. I know you were uh, obviously down there, you know, interacting. What are your opinions on what Mike was able to say about how Josh definitely makes any offensive coordinator good, but at the same time, you have to roll with his limitations of what formations he likes, some of the wild throws, 
Um, you know, and some of the the schemes he likes, does he like screen passes? There's so much there that you have to digest in order to mesh an offensive scheme to the style of quarterback. So you heard it from Mike, Kevin. I know you have a thoughts on it. What 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 are you what are you thinking as you kind of look through this debate? Yeah, I, I agree with what you guys were saying. And I think it's important that we look at both sides because I feel like way too many times in Bill's Mafia, whether it's on social media or podcasts or just in general, it's either you love Ken Dorsey or you hate him. And there's no in between. And I think that we need to criticize him and Josh and the rest of the offense as a whole, especially after a performance like that. I think we need to examine everyone and everything. This wasn't on Ken Dorsey. This wasn't just on Josh. This wasn't just on. Khalil Shakir, I'm just throwing a random name out there. (laughs) So that's what I want to try doing here tonight because I try to stay on the middle because, you know, whoever reported was, it said, hey, Sean, is Ken Dorsey going to be calling plays moving forward? I mean, come on, that's obvious. You're not going to strip him during the middle of the season. If anything, if it's that bad, you make the change at the end of the year. So I'm going to try staying in the middle because, I, again, I think it's important that we look on both sides here. And something that I found really interesting was what Eric Wood was saying on WGR yesterday. And I want to bring this up here because I think he put it perfectly. So he said, since the Bills have taken Allen's running out of their offense, there needs to be a quick, easy option five to seven yards down the field to get some rhythm into their offense and to help move the chains. You have to find that safety blanket. So whether it's getting Kincaid more involved once he's healthy, using Hardy, Sherfield, and or secure more, or utilizing Cook in the passing game, the Bills need some quick, easy throws to make it third and manageable as opposed to third and long. So I thought that was a perfect way of putting it because I think it starts at the top with Ken Dorsey. Can he be better? Absolutely. I think he needs to put his weapons in better positions so that you can get that rhythm and the balance into your offense because I was looking at the stats today Roy will appreciate this. Khalil Shakir and Trent Sherfield have combined for 12 targets, nine receptions, and just 79 yards and a touchdown this season. So I'm not saying that these are guys that need to put up 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns, but you signed them for a reason. You drafted Kincaid for a reason, and I know he was hurt with that concussion, but Kincaid only has 17 receptions for 118 yards this year. you got to find ways to get these guys more involved. So before I, I talk about Josh a little bit, I'll, I'll let you guys respond to that. Yeah, and I, and I agree a lot with what you were saying there, Kevin. And, and that's kind of where I stand. I, I don't think that Dorsey is a top five offensive coordinator. I just don't agree with the people that are like, fire Dorsey and that this guy is horrible. Uh, across league circles, he's considered a top 10 offensive coordinator in the game right now. Uh, that That's not just me throwing things out there. If you go to PFF guys, if you go to uh, – other national media guys that have sources. He's a guy that's going to start getting interviews for head coaching opportunities in the next few years, whether he gets those jobs or not. And and while we can all say it's a product of Josh Allen, the same could be said about Brian Dable. We will never actually know how much of it is the offensive coordinator and how much of it is Josh Allen until Josh Allen is no longer in the mix or if the offensive coordinator goes to another organization and then uh, has to uh, coach another team. So we're never really going to know that, that answer. And it's important to look at the alternatives too. If the Bills ever did get rid of a, a Ken Dorsey, Joe Brady is probably the next guy in charge. 
So then you're going to have just the same issue again, except for now you have a quarterback coach that's been with the team for a shorter period of time overall. So what I, what I think we struggle sometimes as fans is we always say we want them to do certain things, then they do it. And then if they don't have instant success doing it, we get upset. The Bills are trying to become a more balanced offense this year. They're trying to implement 12 personnel. They're trying to run the ball more because they're, they're realizing with the way defenses have adjusted over the last year or two, that they need more balance in order to be successful uh, in the playoffs and to be able to uh, to be, try to make a run. And we've seen James Cook elevate the Bills running game this year. We've seen Latavius Murray have success out of the backfield. Last week on the show, Kevin, you were, uh, Cuse, I mean, uh, you, you were talking about how you wanted to see the Bills more uh, under center. You wanted to see more play action. Well, they went up to 43% of their snaps under center this past week. They went to 25% play action. So the Bills really are incorporating new things. But it's also important to, in, to consider when you are incorporating new things in your offense, things that you haven't done much in recent years, it's not going to just come instantaneously to you. There's going to be a growth period. There's going to be rough stretches with that as well. The Bills aren't trying to just throw all this out there because they expect to just be amazing at it right away. This is about growth and progression through the course of a season. So when it gets to the end of the year, they can have the right mentality to where they can have success doing these new things. What really kind of failed this team in previous years was that they were so strong with their core philosophies that when teams had answers for them, they really didn't have a multiple uh, multitude of ways to really attack teams. The Bills were heavy 11 personnel last year, and when they came against teams that were able to slow them down like the Jets and the Bengals, it was tough sledding the rest of the way. I would rather the struggles come right now trying to find out your identity and figure out if these new things are going to work out for you long-term than to get to the playoffs uh, having had amazing regular season success with 11 personnel, then run into the one opponent that can slow you down, and then having no alternatives the rest of the the game. So long story short, we'll see how it works out. But they're still averaging 29 points a game, which coincidentally is more points than they were averaging last year and the same amount of points they averaged the two years prior with Dable during a historic period in the NFL. I think what you're looking at here too is their ability to continue to thrive statistically. And I think that 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 bugs people because it's like, well, there's got to be a solution because I don't see it that way. I see it differently. I see it as just Josh. And I think the problem where you're starting to find that divide that Kevin mentioned earlier is because you have people who might not want to hear that the stats have anything to do with anyone other than Josh Allen. So I think that that's the biggest divide right now among fans is, is it Josh? Is it a little bit of both? What's going on? Because a lot of metrics third best uh, DVOA team four and two team ever. Um, so there's a lot of dramatic opinions right now on the situation. And I think as always, people needed three, I'm like how many years, three, four, five years on Josh Allen before saying he's good. Like it yeah, was something. Able to. So like, it's one of those things like when things don't click fans look for a scapegoat in that situation. And they're not going to scapegoat the all pro franchise quarterback because he's not going anywhere the next 10 years. Right. So it's who's it who's it easier to scapegoat the coach who is just continuing what the prior coaching coaches have done or the quarterback that you're really dependent on for your success going forward. And 
it, it kind of is what it is at, at, at this point in time, Kevin. And, and like one thing that like does have to be taken into account too, uh, Bills fans keep saying something looks off with, with the offense, something looks off with Josh. And it, it is true, but they have only failed to score uh, 20 points five times in their last 22 games. Cincinnati is at seven for that, for that stretch of games. Uh, the, the Eagles and 49ers, I believe are at three or four and, and same with Kansas city. So even their peer teams are lined up basically in the same areas that the bills are. So I think what we're kind of experiencing is a victim of we are hyper Bills fans where we watch a million Bills games, but we don't watch enough of the other teams in the league because the same stuff is happening to all the other great teams in the league at basically the same frequency. We just don't watch the, the other teams in the league because the same amount that we're watching the Bills. I think that's a huge point. So, Kevin, bouncing it back over to you. What are your opinions on the overall state of the NFL offenses you have? Mahomes relying on his defense more now than ever. He has more turnover-worthy plays than Josh. You have Hurts struggling against a similar style of defense that the Bills have had to go against in the AFC East as well. You have Purdy not being able to get anything done when Christian McCaffrey goes off the field. You have a pretty poor state of offense right now around the league, and you know, I think the hyper focus right now on a, is who's calling the plays, but maybe there is an influx of defense. Maybe that there's people trying to figure out these elite level quarterbacks, millions and millions and millions of dollars being spent per team analytically, eye test wise, scouting wise to stop these offenses. When you have Josh Allen, that you have some of these coaches that are going off onto new teams knowing their other because they're getting hired because of these franchise quarterbacks like Dable, maybe like some of the other two, the Eagles had two coaches being hired off of their roster, et cetera. What is your opinion, Kevin, on just the state of the league and offense? Does that play a role into this at all? And you have to account for like Josh Allen is going to be who Josh Allen is at some point. Like we can swap out, we can swap out Ken Dorsey. There was, there was plenty of people on this, world after a three and five stretch from week 16 to week 14 in 2021, the year that everyone thinks the Bills should have won the Super Bowl. Uh three and five stretch. It wasn't, it was not great. You had a even worse performance against Jacksonville offensively. And you had a ton of issues in 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 games that and during that stretch. They could they got they got boat raced and that's something that you don't see right now. So Kevin, what's your opinion on all of that as you kind of look at the state of the league and kind of put some context behind like where the Bills are at in 2021. Well, to your guys' point, I think that it needs to be said that the defense is still going to make plays because as much as this is an offensive-driven league, that's not to say for the next 50 years it's going to be offense, 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 offense. The defense is going to figure out how to punch back, but what the offense has to do is throw another counter punch. So the latest trend was you put the two high safeties, and now you have to work on working underneath. So defenses are constantly making adjustments, and that's why it's on the offense to throw that counterpunch back and say, okay, we're going to be ahead of the curve because defenses are starting to defend us this way. So going back to how I opened this up, that's why it's on Ken Dorsey to figure out the guys that he has on his roster to scheme them open. Guys like Trent Sherfield, Khalil Shakir, Deontay Hardy, Dalton Kincaid. There was so much hype around Kincaid. All we heard about all summer 
Cole Beasley 2.0. Maybe he's the next coming of Travis Kelsey. He's so smooth and fluid and his hips and his hands. He catches everything. Well, where's that been? So I think it starts with Dorsey. He has to put his players in better positions to scheme them open. But again, I want to talk about Josh here because this is a perfect example where Dorsey called the right play and it was a beautiful design where Khalil Shakir acted like he was going to run block or, or just block in general. And then he leaked out. So I have the clip right here, or at least a screenshot, where you can see Shakir at the top of the screen with that arrow, and that's Diggs in that triangle. And Josh forced it in to double-triple coverage when he could have had Shakir for an easy first down. So again, I think it's very easy to say, oh, well, Ken Dorsey is such a terrible play caller. And, you know, to those people's credit, you can find a lot of plays where it's like, why would you call that? But on the other side, this is on Josh right here because he did not recognize that Shakir was wide open. And I was sitting in the stands with my friend and we pointed that out. And somewhere around the same time, Dick came over to Allen with the iPad and he showed him something. It was a five second conversation and he walked away. And I was wondering if he was saying, dude, I was triple teamed. We had Khalil open for a first down. The Bills so targeted Diggs, I think, 16 times on Sunday, over 50 percent of uh, the, the passes were targeted to him. At some point, I love that they're involving their, their stud wide receiver, their top top player on the team. But you almost wonder if it's to the detriment of the offense when your quarterback is single-handedly just focusing on one guy. There, I, at this point, I don't even know if the, the hyper-focus to Diggs is Dorsey or if it's Josh. I don't know at this point because we had an offseason where everything narrative-wise was that Diggs wasn't happy with the situation. And we know that that was mostly crap from um, after minicamp onward. But we do know that there were legitimate issues heading into minicamp to the fact where he missed the first minicamp practice. And there was room, there's rumors that it had something to do with his um, – his views on the offense, the offensive philosophy. Well, right now, Diggs is on pace for 138 catches for over 1,700 yards and 13 touchdowns. So it's not like I'm saying don't get Diggs involved. But when you start throwing to a guy at this high of a volume, teams teams know what you're basically doing. And is there other options open that are just getting ignored in the process? I don't know. I have to watch more, more film, but – I don't know if this is a Dorsey not scheming guys open or if it's just them not utilizing other people on their team right now, because uh, I'm pretty sure if we watched a little bit more that we would probably see some guys open on some, on more of these plays, the play you showed with the triple coverage, like there's no excuse for the quarterback not to uh, have a better idea there. Like that's just horrible. Like that's a horrendous read right there. And he had time and Shakir gets probably an easy 10 plus yards here. Um, there is issues with spacing. I agree with that. The other thing that people need to realize, and this is something that we need to have a, a real discussion about when we talk about how the offense looked under Dable compared to how the offense now looks under Dorsey, is that when Dable was here, not only was it the offensive era, I already mentioned all that stuff many times on the show today, that was also a period when Josh Allen was on his rookie contract. The Bills went out and spent a lot of money on getting him weapons during that period. In a, in a three-year period, Josh Allen had Stephon Diggs. 
He had Cole Beasley. He had John Brown. He had Emmanuel Sanders. And he had Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis was his number four wide receiver for two years in a row. It's easier to scheme things open when you have a number four receiver like Gabe Davis. Uh, then you also had an emerging Dawson Knox. And at the time, the, the Bills running game was still was still, still defend, decent. Since that time, the Bills have given Von Miller over $100 million. They have the highest priced secondary in the NFL. They've invested multiple day two picks on and a day one pick on defensive ends. They have drafted two linebackers in the third round in back-to-back years. They have completely neglected drafting wide receivers outside of the fifth round with Khalil Shakir and Justin Shorter. Gabe Davis is their highest drafted wide receiver in the last four or five years. Uh, in the fourth round. So, and we're talking about wanting to have an emergence from guys like Deontay Hardy that are $4 million wide receivers who are gadget guys essentially on this team. The fans' expectations were to have Trent Sherfield be a number three wide receiver. Trent Sherfield is a number five wide receiver in this league. Outside of last year in Miami, Trent Sherfield hasn't done anything his entire career. And people were putting their hopes that he would be the Bills' starting slot receiver. And and then the next hope is that Khalil Shakir, a fifth-round pick from two years ago that I liked and I was hoping for more, would emerge right away as a second-year player as a as a quality slot guy. Well, let, let, let's be real. There's some reasons why the offense is going to be inconsistent. When you have only two receivers on your entire team that you feel like you can depend on, when you have a rookie tight end basically being forced to step up and people want him to be a 70-catch, 700-yard guy right away as a rookie tight end, like I said 50 catches, 500 yards, five touchdowns. That was my expectation for Dalton Kincaid. And I still think down the stretch maybe he can become that guy. But we got to realize the Bills are not – they don't have an arsenal of weapons. They have one elite playmaker. They have one good guy in, in Davis. And then it's all below average for the most part as far as the ability to make plays. So Kincaid will see. Dawson Knox will see. But it, there's reasons for it. So when we're saying scheme it open, we're, we're not exactly talking about the same group of guys that the Bills have had the three years prior to 2022. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, this is our roster as it is. So you need to figure out how to use them. I mean, again, they sign these guys for a reason. They don't do things just off the cuff and say, yeah, let's just go sign Sherfield. They said, no, he's a possession receiver. He can get yak. He has speed. He has size. He's versatile. Same with Dalton Kincaid. All these different attributes that we heard during the offseason, and now they just flush him down the toilet during the season. So let me ask you guys this real quick before I let you respond, Mike. Do you think that the answer is on our roster, or are you guys under the impression that we should go acquire one by the trade deadline? So the answer isn't on the roster, and it's not going to get dramatically better with any of the guys they have here. What? See, the issue is they were in salary cap hell this offseason. They didn't have the money to get – better upgrades at wide receiver. If they wanted to get a better wide receiver, they would have needed to draft one. That's why Kevin and I, for three months leading into the draft, were saying, get Jordan Addison, get Zay Flowers, get a Jackson Smith and Jigba. And, and yes, they ended up getting Dalton Kincaid, and I like that from a 12 personnel. The answer isn't just magically hoping one of these three, four, or five wide receivers step up and suddenly can be productive. The answer is you're just going to have to you're going to have to develop a run game and you're going to have to hope 
that you have your variety of different things you can throw at the table will be enough and that Josh and Diggs connection is good enough to uh, eliminate some of these poor performances. I think it's important to point out the Bills are still the third ranked DVOA offense in the league, that they are top three in the league in passing efficiency and that they are top six in the league in running efficiency. So every advanced metric still thinks this offense is looking good. And to be honest, like they scored 48 points against Miami. Like if the question is, can they win a shootout? We already saw them win a shootout this year. So uh, against a team that, Celebrity voice impersonation, not an endorsement. Why go to a single furniture store when you can go to Big Sandy Superstore? Shop and compare America's top five mattress brands, plus Nectar and Purple. And choose from over 22,000 in-stock appliances from the top brands at the guaranteed lowest price. Or furnish the room of your dreams with a large selection of American-built furniture. With financing plans for just about anyone, there's nowhere else quite like it. Big Sandy Superstore. Welcome to BreezeLine, where you'll get a Cyber Monday deal on lightning-fast internet to shop quickly and securely this holiday season. Get 500 megabits internet for $39.99 per month and a $100 Visa prepaid reward card when you order online, just in time for the holidays. Plus, free Wi-Fi your way to keep cyber threats out and shopping safe. Wrap up this deal and stay secure all year long. Terms and conditions apply. Offer ends November 30th. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Can score against anybody. They, they dominated the top-scoring team in the league. So Sunday sucked. It was a horrible performance. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But the answer will come from finding more consistency in the run game. If they go weeks where they what they did against Jacksonville, where they run for 15 yards, 20 yards, they're going to struggle. But that, that's what they're going to have to figure out because – the only change we're going to see at receiver in the near future is if they decide to draft one next year or if Davis goes and they get a mid-tier wide receiver number three and then bring in a, a number two uh, from the draft. I think what's definitely necessary is an upgrade to the personnel packages. Now, what I will say is who was missing in this game, and we've touched on it a few times, and it's Kincaid and even Hardy. We have some good footage and film that shows Hardy taking the, the top off of defenses. So although he's not being utilized, Mike, this to your point, he's not being utilized. He's You've you've made this argument to me. Yes, and that's the thing. Like He is still contributing, even though it's not coming from a statistical standpoint. It is on an analytical standpoint, just not in the box scores. Um, And that's the confusing part for a lot of people is that Dalton Kincaid has been excellent in, in, in taking away middle of the fields of the defense, freeing up. That's why the boundary receivers have been so effective. If they're going to continue to focus on the middle of the field to take away the rookie tight end who has a hundred and something yards. Okay. There's one-on-one matchups with your best player, which is your number one receiver. And here's what I'll say. If the Bills, right now it's a trendy topic, but if the Bills were only throwing to Hardy and Sherfield and Dawson Knox, how much would we have to be sitting here on the Going Deep podcast on October 17th talking about how they don't give their number one receiver enough targets? Because it can't have it both ways, and I know we'd be having that discussion. He is a top three receiver in the league. He is third in a lot of statistical categories. You get that player the football because he is your best player. You want the best player of your football team between your quarterback to throw to the other best player of your football team. And I just don't know how much of that Dawson Knox or Trent Sherfield or Khalil Shakir can change the outcome of a football game 
instead of your all pro receiver who has already shown to make people miss. He has changed games against Miami. He's been effective at times. And when he's taken away in the playoffs and, and you see him mad and angry, that's all we're talking about is he needs more offensive involvement. He needs the Josh treatment. He needs to go in with Dorsey and talk about, he literally did that. And he is now, now, um, Sunday against the Giants was a little bit too much. Now that was a little bit too much to your number one receiver. He's your best player, and he's outproducing that those numbers as well. He's that effective, and he's a guy that I'd like to see continue to get the ball as the best player on your football team. Now, that's not to say I don't need to see other things, but if if defenses particularly are going to be in too high and they're going to take away the middle of the field and they're going to allow you to use your boundary receivers – that's what you need to do. Josh has been very efficient. He's still leading the league in completion percentage for a reason. There's not an overall issue. Mike, you brought up some good points at what happened in this Giants game. Two missed field goals, which really hurt Tyler Bass. That was not a great performance. If you are unconfident because during the punt situation, then I don't know what gave you confidence after your first missed field goal. There's a lot to unpack there. I need to see that cleaned up. We're talking about other players needing to clean it up. He absolutely cannot have a game like that. He put his team in bad, bad positions. Um, missing those kicks of where the field position turned out to be. Can't miss both of those kicks. You need to at least come up with one of those kicks. That is unacceptable, and I need to see better from him as we're talking about Dawson Knox and other players. Unacceptable performance from the kicker. However, Dave Davis has to hold on to that football as well. Um, You know, he needs to have the ball in his other hand. He Could his knee have been down? I don't know. Did he get hit in the face? Sure looks like it, but I don't know that that's always going to get called. Uh, in a football game. So just like it didn't at the end of the game. So there's all those factors to me that went wrong. They punted conversely, they punted on the 37. There was multiple times the bills were near the 40 yard line or beyond. And also just like we, we, we over five in the red zone, the giants were the bills are good in the red zone. Obviously they're, I think they're top of the league in most statistical categories, but they struggled in plus territory of the New York giants. So that cannot be mistaken. But guys, we hit the eight o'clock hour. We're on the top of the hour, and there's a football game to be played uh, in this upcoming Sunday against the New England Patriots. The last one o'clock game until they play the New England Patriots again at the end of the season in Week 17. So there's going to be a gap of primetime games and of uh, four o'clock games in the mist here coming up. But we do need to get to this game. If you look at the New England Patriots and the mess of a season they're having one of the worst seasons. They're having their rash of injuries. You have Matthew Judon, probably their best player right now off the field. Christian Gonzalez, who was like sauce Gardner looking like he had a chance to be defensive rookie of the year. Um, Total mess there on that side. They're talking about Malik Cunningham. Will that come to fruition this week? Will that be next week? Is Mac Jones finally done? Are they tanking for a quarterback? Do we want to see this New England team win some football games to keep them away from these players, guys? So there's a lot to talk about, Mike. What what is your initial reaction to this New England team? This team is bad. Like really, really worse than the Giants. Bad. Uh, I won't say worse than the Giants, but uh, they might end up being right near the Giants at the end of the season. And realistically, like tanking wouldn't be the worst idea. For the Patriots right now, honestly, like if they could find a way to win like two, three, four games, which a Bill Belichick defense, it's hard for me to ever believe they'll be that bad. But if they got a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, like New England could be back pretty soon uh, in that scenario. But so I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to. I want them to win a few games down the stretch. But uh, I think the, the biggest thing with New England right now is we have we have finally discovered it's not an offensive coordinator thing with Matt Jones. 
He's just a really bad quarterback. Uh, people wanted to make excuses for him uh, in New England last year when he struggled with uh, Matt Patricia and um, Joe Judge uh, basically being dueling offensive coordinators during the offseason and trying to teach him. This year he has Bill O'Brien. That's a former uh, NFL head coach, a former offensive coordinator for Tom Brady, uh, a college coach at Penn State, uh, an offensive coordinator, I think, at Alabama. If Bill O'Brien is getting no answers for you, if you're having some of your worst uh, offensive production with him as your offensive coordinator, you're not going anywhere fast. And, and the Patriots, uh, they're, they're just kind of stale offensively. Uh, they're, they're not a good pass blocking unit right now, which is weird to say. Uh, their blocking has been horrendous in front of um, Mac Jones. Mac Jones is uh, not an athlete, not a not a great arm in an era where quarterbacks go in the first round need to be tremendous athletes or have a strong arm to compensate if they're not. Uh, and then defensively too, uh, they're running into issues with Christian Gonzalez out on IR, um, Matt Judon on IR. They don't have their their big shots that they they would really need to slow down uh, or even attempt to slow down uh, a Bills like offense. So I really think now that the London game is behind them, that they've had a week uh, back in the States, that this is going to be a, a get right game uh, for the Bills. And I'm expecting a week from now us to be having much different vibes uh, from the fan base regarding the offense than what uh, we have had. Uh, in the past week or two. Not saying that New England can't limit the Bills. Like, I'm not expecting the Bills to just go off for 40 points, but I expect the Bills to look more efficient in the way they do move the ball uh, this upcoming week. They're having some bad O-line issues. Kevin, what's your initial reaction to the New England Patriots game that's on the fold for 1 o'clock Sunday? What what do you think and what kind of performance are you looking for? Is this team just done for? Will you see some fight like you saw from the Giants, even though there was a lot of motivation there on the Giants and there might not be as much motivation here on the Patriots and who might be looking for those quarterbacks that uh, Mike had just mentioned. That offensive line is very poor again with Calvin Anderson, Vidarian Lowe, Sidney So, uh, Antonio Maffi. Um, you know, there's some poor playing. Cole Strange hasn't been very good. He's been hurt. Michael Anway and you hasn't been very good. Trent Brown has been very good. Um, but they have like a rotation of about six players beside Brown that have been horrific. What is your opinion of this game as you look at this offense who, I mean, might, might best player might be Ezekiel Elliott. After this past week, I am not going too far one way or another because this is a Patriots is still Belichick and they are stingy on defense. And we all thought that we were going to crush the giants last week and the Bills didn't even score as many points as they were favored by. They were favored by 15. They scored 14. So I don't want to get, go down that rabbit hole and fall into that trap of saying, oh, this is a get-right game. We're going to really put a 40-50 burger on Belichick, and we're really going to rub it in. I'm going to reserve my comments and, and say that this is still the Patriots, and this is still New England. We're playing in New England. I think we should win. I think we will win. We'll get to our predictions later on in the show but I'll leave it at that. It is okay. important to point out, this is not your typical Patriots defense. They're 14th in DVOA right now. They're an average unit. They're not a top five unit like what we have come to expect. Oh, the Giants uh, are 28th. Up. No, that's fair, but there's also something to be said that it's a the NFL is a week-to-week matchup-driven league. Uh, sometimes the metrics aren't going to go your way, 
but that doesn't mean in the long run you you start betting against the metrics just because you have an outlier performance. Outliers happen. Uh, we have a large enough sample size over the last three years to realize that more often than not, the Bills are playing to their um, top potential in the regular season, not the bottom potential. We, we always talk about, oh, the Bills play all these close games. Well, they have the top point differential by a 150-point spread or since the 2020 season. So that that's just not backed up by numbers. And I'm not directing that at you, uh, Cuse. I'm directing that at the fans that are have said on social media to me in the last couple of weeks, well, the Bills only blow out bad opponents. Well, then they squeak by a bad opponent, and people are like, well, why didn't they blow out that bad opponent? Like, you can't have it both ways. Um, so the, the fact is many teams in the NFL squeak by games against bad opponents. Um, and that that's not an uncommon thing. Uh, we have to, to realize the, the three prior games to uh, the, the Jacksonville and the Giants game, the Bills uh, had beaten the Raiders – by what was the final score of that game? Uh, they, they, they won by 28, 27, something like that. They beat uh, Washington 37 to three, and then you beat the Dolphins uh, 48 to 20. So uh, the Patriots are going to be one of the, the worst teams the Bills play this entire season. So maybe familiarity keeps it close. I'm, I'm not saying like the Bills are going to, like I said, I, I'm not picking them to win by 30 or anything like that. But uh, this is a Patriots team that, has been much better in the past and it's struggled against this Bills offense. So I I think it's going to be a game the Bills will feel more comfortable in, but but we'll see. I, I'm, I'm not going to say it's going to be a blowout or anything like that. Interesting. That's a, uh... That's quite the, uh, the, I guess, a really fair way to look at it, in my opinion, in terms of how you break down the game. If you guys want to live, if anybody, this is directed at anyone personally, if you want to live, then die against the numbers. And you want to think that it's, you know, some of these opponents are always going to play one score games. You know, I heard that at the commanders week. I heard that Raiders week. Obviously we definitely heard that uh, um, Miami week uh, with some of this stuff. So, I mean, sure. I mean, it's the probability of a one score game in any specific football game is still high between pick your opponents. Um, it can happen any week. So those are going to show up like they did, uh, you know, against the bills and the giants game. So, but historically they haven't covered the spread in terms of, so they won against the jets, obviously uh, a game that um, they were favored by two and a half. They covered the spread, obviously in that game, winning uh, that football game, but they've struggled mightily in, in games this season. Um, you know, it's it's disappointing to see them not even compete sometimes when you you know might want a better competition against some of these divisional teams where it would be nice for them to grab one um against the dolphins but you know they, they play decent but still not great um and haven't covered you know pretty much at all this season in, in totality so it's been a, a pretty bad performance so i mean un unfortunately a team that is going to play like their their metrics have shown against everybody i'm going to have to kind of predict that and the line's eight and a half so beside their win in which they covered they haven't in their other five losses so i mean it's possibility that you get the best of of this new england team i don't even know do we know that we even see mac jones which makes it hard i want to get we usually have mark schofield on he was tied up today unfortunately we'll see we'll get him in january to get get their opinion uh get his opinion of this patriots team as we head into the offseason so we'll get him for uh, matchup number two. So we don't have him here. And he does a great job breaking down Patriots information and futures and quarterbacks and a lot of different things. Mark Schofield is, is phenomenal. I'm sure he'll be around 
uh, all types of different things this week. Um, but he is a fair analysis of the New England Patriots. And I was very interested to see what he had to say uh, about this matchup and what he was looking for. But I don't have it discounted at how bad Mac Jones has played that you'll see Malik Cunningham, Mike. is. Do you expect to see Mac Jones in this game? I mean, I, I expect Mac Jones to be playing, but I mean, if you're the Patriots, at, at some point you got to just explore what else you have. Uh, if this season continues to go down downhill more, I don't think that time is yet, but uh, I, I just want to pull this up quick uh, sure. to see how many points per game there are. The, the Patriots have 72 points in six games. That's quick math. What is it? That's like 12 points a game. Right, seventy-two points. That yeah, they're averaging twelve points a game. What the Bills did last week was more points than what the Patriots are even averaging at this point. So, like, to put it in perspective, the Bills have one hundred seventy-three points. The Bills have one hundred and one more points than the Patriots six games into the season. So, over the course of the regular season, if they kept this pace, the Bills would have basically two hundred. And this is just. Quick math off the top of my head. Would have about 280 more points scored than the Patriots over the course of a regular season. The Bills are averaging 17 points more per game or something like that than than the Patriots so far this season. That's more than they're scoring. That's what I'm saying. So, like, like we think we have it bad. The Patriots fans right now, they're like, they don't even care. Like, they honestly, they, they don't even care. Like, they are expecting this to be a murder. To be honest, like... When you look at the spread and you factor in how bad their offense has been, eight and a half is actually kind of giving the Patriots defense some respect because that's assuming that the Patriots have a chance to score 14, 15. If, if the Bills won by 30, Mike, how high would that be? That wouldn't, I don't think it'd be eight and a half. If the Bills had beat the Giants by 30, what's the. Yeah, if the, if the Bills had beaten the Giants by 30, I think the line would be like 12 and a half right now. Yeah, probably. I, I think this line is only what it is because. Uh, there is a lot of people across the country that are maybe questioning the Bills offense and Josh because of the last two performances. But we have to, we have to remember the Bills have had two to three stinkers a year for the last three years. Like this is, this isn't something new. Like they, they've had stinkers every year. Every time it happens, we always get on the offensive coordinator. We always complain. We, we, we say, Oh, this is awful. These offensive coordinators suck fire them, move on, get somebody else. It's just, it's kind of just uh, nature. Like I'm sure if I was older in the nineties, I probably would have heard stuff about uh, Marv Levy not being a good enough coach because he was losing the Super Bowl every year. In fact, I've actually had plenty of Bills fans that I know that are 10, 15, 20 years older than me talk about how Marv Levy wasn't even a good coach and that anybody could have carried that talent. So maybe it's just, it's just a sports fan thing. You always look to the coaching and yes, Josh is superhuman but I, after referencing the London stats that we had earlier in the show, there has to be something behind that. Kev. Twelve out of fourteen teams, not named, with the Jaguars being the lone exceptions, trailing in the fourth quarter, the next game back from a London trip. That that doesn't seem like a coincidence. Yeah, it does not. That's that's why I predicted the Bills not to cover last, last week on our show. Another thing to bring up here, I want to make sure I mentioned um, some of their most active pass rushers. You have Matthew Judon, uh, Josh Uche, who's now her, Keon White, uh, their decent-looking rookie defensive end, all out of the game. So now 
those are some of the players that the Giants did have. Some of their better defensive players, Kayvon Thibodeau, Leonard Williams. You know, they obviously had a very active Micah McFadden. They had a very active Bobby Okereke. So they had um, um, a, a quite decent front, and that's what they were able to utilize in this game to keep the Bills at bay at times. Um, and in a front seven, that was pretty, pretty much the best part of that roster. Like nothing else is really good on the New York giants. That front seven was good enough. And it's pretty, still has a lot of talented, expensive players on that. The giants are missing, or excuse me, the Patriots are missing their version of that. If Uche doesn't play no Judon, no white, you know, they have some decent, you know, Christian Barmore is decent, but outside of that, like Dietrich wise has been a mess. Devin Godshaw has been a mess. Um, you know, it's been a pretty, pretty exclusively painful type of position. You have Jelani Tavai, who's really good uh, against the run, uh, but doesn't present. Only had 30 pass rushing snaps this season. Kyle Duggar and Jabril Peppers have been a pretty usable safety combination for them. So obviously with any Bill Belichick system, you're going to have some higher performing DBs. Those would be it. Um, and they even brought back for free, like a JC Jackson, who's been pretty bad this year. So I do expect some matchups to win. I expect to have Dalton Kincaid back and out of out of concussion protocol um, and see he was a main player missing in the game last week. He's been certainly getting his receivers open. And now we're going to see him back. And if the Bills offense plays good, I think there's definitely something to the Bills offense clicking in 12 personnel in all cylinders when they have one of their main four or five guys back yeah. in that lineup. That's a huge point. Really, like that is the the biggest point I want to see Sunday against the Patriots. If, if suddenly Dalton Kincaid is back and the Bills' offense flows much better, I think we we found something. We in that scenario, that would be this team has worked all offseason on twelve personnel. They drafted someone in the first round, and that is their primary identity. That is what they need to have success. If they go out against New England and they score twenty seven points. And even if Kincaid has three catches for 20 yards, but we see them moving the, the field, the ball down the field, we're going to know that even Dalton Kincaid in a non-huge uh, box score performance is impacting the game in a multitude of ways, whether it be uh, the threat of running the ball or the threat of being a receiver, or opening up things for other guys on the team. And I, I do want to also say this. I truly, 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 truly believe this. It's possible the Bills are also holding back on Dalton Kincaid early in the year. It, it is entirely possible they are not throwing everything out with him right now. The best teams keep things for later in the season. Uh, we even saw it a little bit with Khalil Shakir. They didn't use mu Khalil Shakir much in the regular season, but then against Miami, he would have had a 100-yard game if he didn't have a drop. I think the Dalton Kincaid we see in December, January is going to be a much different Dalton Kincaid than we see right now. hundred percent. And a lot of that too, is when you, when the weather gets bad, you need to rely more on a possession type offense and what better in that scenario than to use a big tight end uh, who is athletic and you can use to your advantage. It becomes harder to do some of the other things um, downfield. So, We'll see how it works out. Uh, as we get to the picks, I think we're going to find out I'm not going to be as cocky and confident this week as I was last week. But I, I still think when the next two games get played out against New England and Tampa Bay and we see the offense get a little bit closer to normal, we're going to start feeling a little bit better going forward. 
Uh, did see Carl's comment here about Josh's throwing shoulder soreness. Uh, Kev, you would be better at answering that than me. Obviously, never good to have shoulder soreness on your throwing arm. But from what I've read, things don't seem to be overly concerned. It's something that he can, if it was any pain, he could probably get a shot and probably easily play through at this point still. Yeah, he played well at the end of the game, um, played better. I don't think I have any issues there, and I don't believe there's any concern for his shoulder soreness right now. I do believe that that'll be okay. Um, if it was any serious style of AC joint, you would have seen that dangling a little bit more, would not have been able to make those throws. Um, I'm sure it's sore. I'm sure they'll have some treatment in rehab. Maybe he's limited Wednesday. Maybe he's not. But I ultimately don't think that that's an issue at all. Um, everything came out clean, so I don't have any issues there with him. I do think Dane Jackson will be back, and I do think Dalton Kincaid will be back as well to make my prediction. I don't think you'll see Damian Harris, um, and I don't know if anyone else will pop up. But that's fairly clean beside this little Josh Shoulder um, out of that game and, and the scariness to, to, to Damian Harris. But, Kevin, I wanted to go to you there on Mike's point about Dalton Kincaid and what he's done for this offense. Um, and, I'm, you know, some some stuff in there about, like, he's holding back things. I, I personally never said he's holding anything back, but you can't have a player that he's built a game plan for all off season and what he's going to do for the offense in a 12 personnel situation, take him off the field and say that that's not going to affect anything. When you put him back on the field, I expect better results. And I do think he was out of the game in Jacksonville too. when they looked uh, after that hit and he was back in and in and out. So I think he's an important part of this offense. And I think all Mike was saying is that maybe those stats will then come when people are like, yeah. fine, we have to take Diggs away. Even though people try to take Kelsey away, and they can't. Um, so just because you bracket Diggs uh, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stop him because Josh Allen has a strong enough arm, as we've seen countless times, to beat the bracket coverage and to beat all types of different coverages. So I think teams are starting to do the opposite, where they're like, all right, we'll put some attention on Diggs depending on the play, but you know, we're not going to put all these resources over there because then then other people are now wide open across the field. So I think there's just been a different strategy. So I wanted to go to Kevin on the Dalton Kincaid point on if to 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 say that if he comes back and he looks good, what would you say then? I really want to agree with you, Mike, because I was under that same impression last year. And after the playoffs last year, I said, I'm never going to fall into this trap again because I thought for the longest time that the Bills were saving different play packages and schemes for the playoffs for the bigger, tougher teams like Kansas city and Cincinnati. And it was so stale and so stagnant. It got worse. And someone said that in the comments too. He said Dorsey was even more predictable in the playoffs. Uh, if I can go back, I'll, I'll find it here. But I mean, I agree because I thought we we're going to see more from James cook. I thought we we're going to see more from Khalil Shakir. And to your point, he did have that nice game against the dolphins, but even guys like Dawson Knox and Gabe Davis, I was just waiting for more and a little bit more trickery. Um, we had McKenzie last year, so I thought there was going to be some more jet sweeps and just... It's the Smuckers Uncrustables podcast with your host, Uncrustables. Okay, today's guest is rough around the edges. Please welcome Crust. Thanks for having me. Today's topic, he's round with soft pillowy bread. Hey. Filled with delicious PB&J. Are you talking about yourself? And you can take him anywhere. Why'd you invite? And we are out of time. Are you really cutting me off? Uncrustables are the best part of the sandwich. Sorry, crust. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Some small motion things out of the backfield to try to throw the defense off, and it just never came, and they just wanted to keep pushing the ball down the field. So I really hope that you're right, and I think that you're onto something by saying that we could see more from Kincaid because I think he's only going to get better. But will this team know how to use him? Is the when, question. when I say holding back, I, I should clarify. It's it's more so what Betta had earlier and what Kevin was alluding to. It's not that we're going to suddenly see magical formations that they haven't shown during the regular season or magical things that like holding back that way. It's more so Dalton Kincaid is a rookie tight end who I anticipated before the season mainly just being a slot receiver basically being a guy that they're just going to involve in the, the the passing game. It's clear early in the year they are involving him also a bunch in the, in the blocking game, more so than I anticipated. In that scenario, that is a longer developmental curve than just being out in the slot telling him, just catch the ball. It's being a complete all-around tight end will take time. That's not something he's going to explode – early in the season. So the role for him has been different than what I expected. But to be fair with that, as Kevin was saying earlier, if teams start to change the way they cover the bills or try to take out digs, it's going to get to a point where Kincaid later in the year is going to the, all the times that Josh is throwing to digs, he's going to start throwing to Kincaid's way more. He's going to find a way to get him involved more in the offense. So they might not be changing much from, a philosophy standpoint, but the way they get defended might open up more opportunities for Kincaid as the year goes on. And it, and it is important to point out just because we, we said something one time and it didn't come true. Doesn't mean that that's going to be the case. The overwhelming majority of the times as Kevin and I have alluded many times on this show, the 21 season, the bills were sitting at seven and six with four games left in the season. And people were talking about firing Brian Dable because the bills had lost I think five out of eight games. And what happened that year? They went from a very pass-heavy attack early in that year where they were throwing over the top. They were getting huge plays left and right. To late in the year, they had a strong running game with Devin Singletary, and that balance created the most dynamic Bills playoff (laughs) offense that we've seen over this stretch of years with Josh Allen, where they were nearly unstoppable at times. So what is the lesson to learn from that? What you are week five, what you are week 10, what you are week 13 doesn't define what you are as a team. It matters that you find your team heading into the postseason. And if the Bills were seven and six at week 13 in the season, and that wasn't the panic button, we definitely shouldn't be hitting the panic button at week six of a season. Because there is a lot of time. And the big, the one thing that I thought it was clear during the 21 season, which I had, I obviously I didn't have this podcast at this point, but I disagreed with a huge amount of the Bills fan base in 2021. When they were seven and six, there was a lot of people calling for people to get fired. There was a lot of people saying that this Bills team was a flash in the pan, a one-year wonder, and that they weren't going to be as good as what everybody thought. And I remember saying uh, back at that point in time, Tough stretch, but they got four games in front of them that they can easily win and that all they have to do is figure it out. 
their 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 underlying metrics at that time were still strong. So when people that I knew were calling me an idiot, I pointed to the metrics, and the metrics proved to be accurate in that standpoint because larger sample size is always better than a one to two week sample size. So what did the Bills do? When the weather turns in late October, November, December, the Bills can't just rely on their passing game because when you have crazy weather, what happens if you're a pass-first offense that can't run the ball? You become one-dimensional. But then if your one dimension is your weakness, you struggle. The Bills struggled in Cincinnati last year because they were getting destroyed in the trenches. They were getting destroyed. Their offensive line couldn't protect Josh. Their defensive line couldn't stop the run, and they couldn't get penetration on Burrow. The reason why I believe this year could be different is that the offensive line on the Bills has actually been an above-average unit this year. They've actually been one of the strengths of this Bills so far. Their pass blocking has been top five in the league. There's reasons to be encouraged about their pass blocking uh, overall. So knowing that Josh is getting time according to the metrics compared to his competition – Knowing that Josh has a Stephon Diggs, that's an elite receiver. Knowing that they have, they're they're trying to get more versatility and balance on offense. Uh, last year, when eleven personnel didn't work, this offense was shut down. What they're trying to do now is be able to mix 11, 12, single back. They're mixing it up. Like we have seen more variance and more different looks from this Bills offense this year than what we've seen since Dable. Fans need to stop confusing results with what they're actually seeing on, on, on the field. The Bills are bringing a lot more to the table this year. They just need time to get more consistency with it and get more in a group. This is a lot of new stuff they're throwing out there this year. It's not going to be perfect right away. Let's give it time. If, if they suck the next five weeks and they lose three games, okay, I'll panic. I'll start worrying. But right now they're four and two. With the third-ranked DVOA offense, they're top three in the league in scoring. Josh Allen's the most efficient quarterback in the league, according to the stats. He's on pace for a career season passing the ball uh, as far as passing yards, uh, touchdowns, completion percentage. And the defense looks halfway decent. I'm just not, not going to panic. I know fans want me to be upset. I know fans want me to be angry. And people after the game want, want podcast people to just yell at the clouds and tell you, Fire Dorsey. McDermott sucks. What's going on with this offense? Everything's horrible. We're never going to win a Super Bowl. I'm just, I'm not that guy. I am too level-headed to, to go up and down on the roller coaster. And the I think what's happened, and this is the last thing I'll say as far as this. We have, because we haven't won a Super Bowl yet, but the metrics the last year, three years, have said that the Bills are really good. There's this perception from the fan base that the Bills need to be perfect to win a Super Bowl. You don't need to be perfect to win a Super Bowl. You need to make the playoffs, be hot, get a little lucky, and then have some matchups go your way. The LA Rams, if the Bills played the LA Rams the year the Rams won the Super Bowl, the Bills would have beat that team by 15 points. So just get in and figure it out then. And just because it didn't work last year or the year before doesn't mean it won't happen because then Peyton Manning never would have won a Super Bowl if people believe that.
So God, you guys got speechless. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a great, it was a great point. Um, I know Kevin wanted to ask uh the, the us a question. So go ahead, Kevin. Well, I want to go back to the Dalton Kincaid point real quick because I was looking at some stats and I was looking into Sam Laporta, and I know this has been a big conversation, and I was just curious to see your guys' thoughts on this because here are Kincaid stats for the season: 17 receptions, 118 yards with a long of 14, and he's averaging 6.9 yards per catch. Sam Laporta, 29 receptions, 325 yards for an average of 11.2. He has three touchdowns, and his longest reception is 45 yards. So back in April, I would have thought that those stats would be flipped. I figured Laporta would have Kincaid's numbers, and Kincaid would have Laporta's numbers. So do you guys think that that's a problem? Does that bother you or how do you feel about that? Because moving forward, like you said, if they're going to start to bracket digs, we're going to need someone else to step up. So maybe right now it's not a big issue, but moving forward, would you like to see Kincaid put up numbers like Laporta or do you not try to compare different tight ends from that aspect? I would, I would like him to put numbers up like Laporta, but the bills, I, I haven't watched enough of the Lions to know how they're using him. Is he, part of the blocking game at all is he being used in line if he is then that's a tremendous start for Laporta I would I would think that maybe he's being used a little bit less in blocking situations compared to Kincaid but I don't know that to be a fact either way um, teams have different plans for different players and I, I don't like to compare guys in the first year thank you Dale I love you um, one of my greatest supporters of this podcast a fan of you as well um, but I, I just wouldn't get too concerned. It's it's six games into both of their rookie years. If if we're talking at the, the end of the year and Kincaid has like 25 catches for like 250 yards, that'll be a bit concerning. But I think we're still really early and there's still a lot that can happen between now and then. Uh, and we'll, we'll see how it works out. There was an argument to be made going into the draft that Sam Laporta was every bit the, the pass catching tight end that Dalton Kincaid was. Uh, Kincaid was obviously a little bit higher ranked overall, but Sam Laporta is a hell of a player. So it shouldn't be a huge shock uh, that he's having a good first year in Detroit. I'm a Laporta fan. Uh, I thought it was pretty, you could, go, you could go either way with who you had on the board being first, second, third with him and Mayer, who now Mayer is starting to get a little bit more involvement after no involvement. Um, you know, he's being force fed though, Kevin, similar to the other scenarios they have, Amon Ross St. Brown, um, but other than that, they don't have another weapon, in my opinion. I don't think Josh Reynolds is it. I don't believe that they have any other comparable players there in that. They don't have a real Gabe Davis, uh, in my opinion. I mean, Jamison Williams, hopefully. Um, he's been in and out of lineups with injuries and suspensions. But still, they're feeding the ball to Laporta and not a Jamison Williams or other weapons that they may have. 11 targets uh, against Tampa Bay in their win, only four catches for 36 yards. I mean, that force feeding him the ball, that's quite literally what we're yelling about Diggs for, but Diggs was more productive in that setting. I think he's just getting, you know, that's just where they're going with some of their secondary looks in that offense. Um, and to me, I don't think that they have a very good running game either. They've had running backs in and out of the lineup. Um, so they're relying on the pass pretty heavily. So you've been seeing some drive starters with those 11 targets. So yes, sure. Ideally, I'd see 42 targets and 325 yards out of those target targets. Uh, but that's 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 a ton of targets so far to that player. Um, and we'll see how that amounts to down the road. 
um, as as they continue to to utilize Laporta. So I think that there's possibilities of Sam Laporta type production from Dalton Kincaid. And I think to Mike's point earlier in the show, that's what you're looking for as some of the scheme starts to open up and as teams start to maybe do more to take away the boundary receivers because Amon Ross St. Brown is a slot receiver too uh, for the Detroit Lions. So, um, you know, those, those, those boundary receivers aren't being very active um, for that team. And I think that that helps put some, some ability for the, you know, the receiver. I mean, you have the ghost of Marvin Jones, Jr. You know, you have Antoine green who most people don't even know who that is. And Ed Reynolds and Jamison Williams. So there's not a lot there. And then you have Cleef Raymond in the slot as well. Uh, whenever to give, to give a Monroe St. Brown a blow or to play in the slot. So there's really not a ton uh, uh, to like there. David Montgomery searching Mark Gibbs. I don't know where he is. He hasn't really played. Um, so we'll see what they're, what they're going to be. But after he went out, they kind of force fed him the ball. So it's interesting perspective, but I do like Laporta a lot. I liked him. You know, he was part of my targets. If the bills didn't take a tight end, I, he was one of my targets in the second round. And that's where he went a little bit higher than I thought. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So by all means, he's a good player. And uh, Dalton Kincaid, I, I still think, does things that are more special. And I still think has opened up this offense. And I'm really interested to see how it looks against the Patriots for that reason, because I think that we can use some data here and we're going to chop up some film. I'm sure, I'm sure Eric Turner is very hard in the lab right now, going over some stuff on what he thinks. And he's already alluded to some secondary options, but you asked earlier, Kevin, do I think that they go out and make a move? I think it's possible this year because I do think that they have an opportunity at the receiver position to make a move. Maybe do they get goofy and do something at the running back position and going, I mean, you've seen them say that, that it takes now you've admitted the GM has admitted and the coach has admitted that James Cook takes a while to get going. Something I've said on this show um, it was good to see that in action where they gave multiple drives to Latavius Murray. And now with Harris out, it's pretty much a 50, 50 split now. So for you fantasy fans, Murray's not a terrible ad uh, in fantasy football. If uh, that's the way it goes, I don't think it's crazy that they could do something at the running back position. If it presents itself, he's done it before. So we'll see. But I do, I do think that there's opportunity because the Bills like 11 personnel. They've ran out of 11 personnel really well this year. It's been effective to run out of. They're throwing better out of 12, which is funny, and they're running better out of 11. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind, that the Bills do like 11 personnel. Will they go and get a slot-style receiver, Jerry Judy? Will they get a Hunter Renfro? Will they go bigger than that? I don't think so. But there, there is definitely options there at the receiver position that might be available. And we've seen more trades than ever already. These six round pick for seventh round pick swaps uh, that are coming. I think teams are more able to see the value in acquiring a player, sticking the other team with the contract that they were going to pay anyways, and potentially bringing in someone. Um, so you've seen the Rams kind of revolutionize that. You've seen 
uh, other team, you know, I've seen Miami go all in at the deadline. You've seen um, just, just a couple of the, the, the Ravens make a big splash move on their defense. So you've seen all types of trades at the deadline. And you've seen a Christian McCaffrey trade that everyone's chasing. I think you could see Sa- uh, Saquon Barkley on the move. We'll see maybe Derrick Henry. We'll see if they end up anywhere other than where they are. And if the bills are going to add a receiver, we'll be live here on the show on trade deadline day, two weeks, and we'll break it all down in two weeks from today, kind of talking about matchups, but we'll also have a little segment in there. If anything happens around the league, or if anything happens, we'll, we'll be going live on the show in two weeks to break that down. But at game prediction time, we're going to go around the home. We all take a W uh, last week. I said we were going to keep track of scores. I had a 10-point difference. I'll take the one on that one. Uh, but we're still all trailing Kevin by one game. Going ahead over to Mike. Mike, we're, tra- we're tracking some of these scores at this point. So tell us what you think about this game, Kevin, and then myself. Well, I mean, I technically got a win last week. But it doesn't feel like a win when you predict a – 42 to 17 margin and end up winning by five points. Uh, but I feel pretty confident in this one. The The Patriots offense is horrible. Um, I, I They're struggling to score against anybody right now. I do think even though their defense is all right, not having Judon, not having Christian Gonzalez, it's going to be tough for them to hold down the bills for four quarters. I expect the Patriots to have uh, – a clock burning mentality where their only real chance is to keep this clock going, do what the giants did uh, short passes, running efficiently, making, having long sustained drives. Um, but ultimately they're going to need those 10, those drives and touchdowns to really have a chance to beat the bills. I'm going to say 24, 13. I think the Patriots can maybe keep it a game for a little while, but the Bills are just too much. Uh, even when the Bills have a bad day, they they find a way to score more points than what the Patriots are even averaging this year. Bring us on, Kevin. Yeah, I think that this is going to be a bit closer than maybe some of us are thinking. I think that the Bills are going to get three touchdowns, and I think Tyler Bass is going to correct himself and make two field goals. So I'm going to take Buffalo 27 to 17 i think it's Mm. i don't know i mean if malik cunningham plays for the patriots we don't have film on him so he could do some sneaky stuff that we're not used to i could see the patriots scoring a couple of touchdowns maybe a field goal or two i don't think this is going to be a blowout if it is i hope i'm wrong because i would love to see a blowout especially in bro but i'm going to stay a little bit more conservative here and say buffalo 27 new england 17 mike you had a 10 point spread too right I had an 11-point spread, and, and I will say, to, to counter what you just said, if Malik Cunningham does play, while that could bring some surprises to the Bills, that could also create some issues for the Patriots. Rookies tend to more often than not do more bad than good. So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily think that's a bad thing, especially with how Sean McDermott does against young quarterbacks. So uh, definitely um, would be interesting. I, I think at the end of the day, this, this – if the Bills struggle against this Patriots defense, this part of me, this Patriots offense, we'll have other questions after this game. We won't be talking offense next week if that's the case. We'll have to start talking about the defense. So I don't, I don't, I think we'll be able to avoid that. Yeah, that's a fun topic uh, for for the the world to address. I mean, I don't. Once again, it's a similar situation. Is Mac jo- How how well is Mac Jones playing? Not very good. Um, he has been awful. He's turned the ball over at a high clip. He's supposed to be one of the best, supposed to be one of the best parts of him. 
Um, you know, we saw in and out of the lineup. You know, now you have a banged up uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Will he go? Will you see a lot of Ezekiel Elliott? I mean, that team's just void of talent. Juju Smith-Schuster has been down. Uh, I don't know why they signed Devontae Parker. I don't really know what the point of that was. Um, so I, I don't overly like their roster. Their offensive line I went over earlier has been pretty poor. Um, you know, I really like Trent Brown, but outside of that, you know, David Andrews is a good center, but outside they have three revolving doors, quite frankly, they've, they've had some issues there uh, with injuries and some, some time there. Um, Mac Jones tried to make a Josh Allen style of play um, and threw it right. Couldn't, couldn't find a wide open Hunter Henry. I don't anticipate that to uh, stop. So I do think there's a chance you see Malik Cunningham. Will they go all for him? I don't know. Will that be a swap that they make if they get it gets away from him? I don't know. There has been a, too many rumblings about how Mac Jones has a short leash, and I don't know what he did uh, against the Raiders to to continue to have that leash, or if that is going to be used up, or if this will be. This is either Mac Jones's last game, or he's out. That's my opinion. Either it's his last game against Buffalo, um, and I think that that this could be it for Ma the Mac Jones at least for now. Uh, if it isn't already. So we'll see how this plays out. I think you're going to see some Malik Cunningham at the very least in this game. And it doesn't usually bode well um, for that specific player in general, but it's Bill Belichick. You never know if he has any magic, but I don't think a college free agent undrafted uh, player who just signed a random three-year contract who no one else wanted um, is going to come in and totally dominate the game. Uh, maybe he'll do some good, good looking things offensively. So, uh, I think the Bills get right. I think it's 28-13 uh, is my final score in this game. I think they cover. Um, I don't have many hopes for this this Patriots offense. They're going to need a performance like the Jets had with the four or five turnovers, which we're, we're not going to see again. Josh has only had two turnover-worthy plays since. Um, or you're going to have to have the kind of the Giants game of two missed. Mike said Bass is going to hit field goals, but two missed field goals, a punt at the 37, a Gabe Davis fumble. That's another seasons worth of of incidents in one game on the Bills still won that specific game um so that's 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 the reason for my score prediction that you're going to take four or five of those and or a josh uh struggle game in this but i think that the bills will want to get right i think that 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 london series is now behind us uh not too far of a travel and i think that um there's not too much going on in that normal if this was a normal new england team i'd be a little bit nervous um, but I think that the the Bills are going to do what they can to, to to prove their dominance in the AFC East. And these are when you get the the best of Josh, and he he's played pretty well lately in New England. Uh, on top of it, so Kevin, we're going to go to you for final takeaways. Uh, let's let's hear you bring us home here tonight. Well, Roy asked a couple of minutes ago before we got to our score prediction, who do we think the Bills can acquire at the trade deadline? And I'm going to throw a name out there. We may have mentioned his name earlier in this show. But I think that the answer could be in-house, and that is Justin Shorter. I think that this is a guy that when he comes back from – it was short-term IR, right? So he should be coming back. It was him and Spectre. Spectre's back. So shouldn't Shorter be coming back relatively soon? Do you guys know anything? There's been nothing that says he's uh, returning anytime soon, but we'll see. Well, if he does, you know, I don't want to speculate and get us all excited just for him not to return for the next X amount of weeks. But if he can return – like I thought he was going to, that could be the perfect complement to Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis. Take the pressure off those boundary receivers a little bit. Big body receiver, possession type of receiver, because if we're going to see Diggs double and triple teamed, we need some more options. Justin Shorter could be the guy. I I like the idea on paper. I just don't think that's really realistic at the end of the day. Uh, 
like I said, I, I could be completely wrong. I, I think right now he's more of a stash on the IR to to keep him on the roster. I don't think he he was that overly impressive during camp or preseason. Uh, he was a, he's more of a project than anything else at this point. Uh, separation wasn't something that he was great at. Uh, so I mean, it, who knows? Maybe maybe there's a chance he could come back, but. Uh, that that's a tough one right now, just because that would require a lot a big leap in faith for the Bills to play a fifth round pick rookie that they haven't even seen uh, so far during the regular season. It's probably they, wishful thinking. So if I wanted wanted to go with an in name house, maybe I would just say let's use Kincaid more. But I thought Justin Shorter would be interesting. Well, there you have it. The final takeaway today, going out of nowhere, is Justin Shorter. Will he return, and will he be part of this offense? You know, you never know. Maybe there's no move to be made, and there is an activation there with another injury across the, the, the roster. The Bills looked for a roster injury, and then all of a sudden, um, uh, Spectre was ready. So it's not outlandish. They did draft him. He was a fifth-round pick, not an undrafted free agent, so they did like something to make sure that they secured him a little bit earlier than um, – then maybe he was ranked. So we'll see what happened with Justin Shorter, but it's not overly crazy to assume that if a no deal goes down, that could be an avenue that we see with limited snaps to compete there for another weapon. It'd be an interesting move if there is no move made. So I'll, I'll give you that. If no moves made, I think that that may rise a tiny bit on the uh, likelihood scale, but that's an action pack show. We appreciate everybody tuning in for an hour and 40 minutes. Please smash the like button for Mike's rants. For producer Kevin and myself, please hit the like button. It helps us so much. And maybe we can get a shorter for a Laporta trade um, <laughs> in this. Uh, that would be a great way to, to, to utilize the trade deadline for some rookies. Uh, a hurt rookie fifth round receiver for a top of the second round tight end who's been the best tight end maybe in, in football beside Kelsey. So from the Going Deep podcast, this show is sponsored by Sons of Erie. We really appreciate all of you guys for tuning in and talking football from the a long time about the Giants game. Did not expect an hour recap of the Giants game into a 30-minute preview of the Patriots. We really appreciate our always awesome viewers. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thank you so much from the on-demand listeners. It means the world for us. But from the Going Deep Podcast from the Cover One Sports Network, I'm Kevin, Mike and Kevin. We'll check you out live next week at 7 o'clock to break down this game. And to talk about that Thursday night football game, we'll preview that as well against the Bucks. And then the following week will be our trade deadline show slash, you know, at 10 day, we'll be talking, you know, much past the Bucks game at that point. So we'll talk to you guys soon. And thanks as always for coming in and talking football. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.